Chapter Thirty of Villette. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Villette by Charlotte Bronte. Chapter Thirty. Monsieur Paul. Yet the reader is advised not to be in any hurry with his kindly conclusions, or to suppose with an over hasty charity that from that day Monsieur Paul became a changed character, easy to live with, and no longer apt to flash danger and discomfort round him. No he was naturally a little man of unreasonable moods when overwrought which he often was he became acutely irritable and besides his veins were dark with a livid belladonna tincture the essence of jealousy i do not mean merely the tender jealousy of the heart but that sterner narrower sentiment whose seat is in the head i used to think as i sat looking at monsieur paul while he was knitting his brow or protruding his lip over some exercise of mine which had not as many faults as he wished for he liked me to commit faults a knot of blunders was sweet to him as a cluster of nuts that he had points of resemblance to napoleon bonaparte i think so still in a shameless disregard of magnanimity he resembled the great emperor monsieur paul would have quarrelled with twenty learned women would have unblushingly carried on a system of petty bickering and recrimination with a whole capital of coteries, never troubling himself about loss or lack of dignity. He would have exiled fifty Madame de Stael if they had annoyed, offended, outrivalled, or opposed him. I well remember a hot episode of his with a certain Madame Panache, a lady temporarily employed by Madame Beck to give lessons in history. She was clever that is she knew a good deal and besides thoroughly possessed the art of making the most of what she knew of words and confidence she held unlimited command her personal appearance was far from destitute of advantages i believe many people would have pronounced her a fine woman and yet there were points in her robust and ample attractions as well as in her bustling and demonstrative presence which it appeared the nice and capricious tastes of monsieur paul could not away with the sound of her voice echoing through the carré would put him into a strange taking her long free step almost stride along the corridor would often make him snatch up his papers and decamp on the instant with malicious intent he bethought himself one day to intrude on her class as quick as lightning he gathered her method of instruction it differed from a pet plan of his own with little ceremony and less courtesy he pointed out what he termed her errors whether he expected submission and attention i know not he met an acrid opposition accompanied by a round reprimand for his certainly unjustifiable interference instead of withdrawing with dignity as he might still have done he threw down the gauntlet of defiance madame panache bellicose as a penthesilea picked it up in a minute she snapped her fingers in the intermeddler's face she rushed upon him with a storm of words monsieur emmanuel was eloquent but madame panache was voluble a system of fierce antagonism ensued instead of laughing in his sleeve at his fair foe with all her sore amour propre and loud self-assertion monsieur paul detested her with intense seriousness he honoured her with his earnest fury he pursued her vindictively and implacably 
refusing to rest peaceably in his bed, to derive due benefit from his meals, or even serenely to relish his cigar, till she was fairly rooted out of the establishment. The professor conquered, but I cannot say that the laurels of this victory shadowed gracefully his temples. Once I ventured to hint as much. To my great surprise he allowed that I might be right, but averred that when brought into contact with either men or women of the coarse, self-complacent quality, whereof Madame Panache was a specimen, he had no control over his own passions. An unspeakable and active aversion impelled him to a war of extermination. Three months afterwards, hearing that his vanquished foe had met with reverses, and was likely to be really distressed for want of employment, he forgot his hatred, and, alike active in good and evil, he moved heaven and earth till he found her a place. Upon her coming to make up former differences, and thank him for his recent kindness, the old voice a little loud, the old manner a little forward, so acted upon him that in ten minutes he started up and bowed her, or rather himself, out of the room, in a transport of nervous irritation. To pursue a somewhat audacious parallel, in a love of power and an eager grasp after supremacy, Monsieur Emmanuel was like Bonaparte. He was a man not always to be submitted to. Sometimes it was needful to resist. It was right to stand still, to look up into his eyes, and tell him that his requirements went beyond reason, that his absolutism verged on tyranny. The dawnings, the first developments of peculiar talent appearing within his range and under his rule, curiously excited, even disturbed him. He watched its struggle into life with a scowl. He held back his hand, perhaps said, Come on, if you have strength, but would not aid the birth. When the pang and peril of the first conflict were over, when the breath of life was drawn, when he saw the lungs expand and contract, when he felt the heart beat and discovered life in the eye, he did not yet offer to foster. Prove yourself true ere I cherish you, was his ordinance. And how difficult he made that proof! What thorns and briars, what flints he strewed in the path of feet not inured to rough travel! He watched tearlessly, ordeals that he exacted should be passed through fearlessly. He followed footprints that, as they approached the bourne, were sometimes marked in blood, followed them grimly, holding the austerest police watch over the pain-pressed pilgrim. And when at last he allowed a rest before slumber might close the eyelids, he opened those same lids wide with pitiless finger and thumb, and gazed deep through the pupil and the irids, into the brain, into the heart, to search if vanity or pride or falsehood in any of its subtlest forms was discoverable in the furthest recess of existence. If at last he let the neophyte sleep, it was but a moment. He woke him suddenly up to apply new tests. He sent him on irksome errands when he was staggering with weariness. He tried the temper, the sense, and the health, and it was only when every severest test had been applied and endured, when the most corrosive aqua fortis had been used, and failed to tarnish the ore, that he admitted it genuine, and, still in clouded silence, stamped it with his deep brand of approval. I speak not ignorant of these evils. Till the date at which the last chapter closes, Monsieur Paul had not been my professor. He had not given me lessons. 
but about that time accidentally hearing me one day acknowledge an ignorance of some branch of education i think it was arithmetic which would have disgraced a charity school boy as he very truly remarked he took me in hand examined me first found me i need not say abundantly deficient gave me some books and appointed me some tasks he did this at first with pleasure indeed with unconcealed exultation condescending to say that he believed i was bonne et pas trop faible i e well enough disposed and not wholly destitute of parts but owing he supposed to adverse circumstances as yet in a state of wretchedly imperfect mental development the beginning of all effort has indeed with me been marked by a preternatural imbecility i never could even in forming a common acquaintance assert or prove a claim to average quickness a depressing and difficult passage has prefaced every new page i have turned in life so long as this passage lasted monsieur paul was very kind very good very forbearing he saw the sharp pain inflicted and felt the weighty humiliation imposed by my own sense of incapacity and words can hardly do justice to his tenderness and helpfulness. His own eyes would moisten when tears of shame and effort clouded mine. Burdened as he was with work, he would steal half his brief space of recreation to give to me. But strange grief, when that heavy and overcast dawn began at last to yield to day, when my faculties began to struggle themselves free, and my time of energy and fulfilment came, when I voluntarily doubled, trebled, quadrupled the tasks he set, to please him as I thought. His kindness became sternness. The light changed in his eyes from a beam to a spark. He fretted, he opposed, he curbed me imperiously. The more I did, the harder I worked, the less he seemed content. Sarcasms of which the severity amazed and puzzled me, harassed my ears then flowed out the bitterest innuendos against the pride of intellect i was vaguely threatened with i know not what doom if i ever trespassed the limits proper to my sex and conceived a contraband appetite for unfeminine knowledge alas i had no such appetite what i loved it joyed me by any effort to content but the noble hunger for science in the abstract the godlike thirst after discovery these feelings were known to me but by briefest flashes yet when monsieur paul sneered at me i wanted to possess them more fully his injustice stirred in me ambitious wishes it imparted a strong stimulus it gave wings to aspiration in the beginning before i had penetrated to motives that uncomprehended sneer of his made my heart ache but by and by it only warmed the blood in my veins and sent added action to my pulses. Whatever my powers, feminine or the contrary, God had given them, and I felt resolute to be ashamed of no faculty of his bestowal. The combat was very sharp for a time. I seemed to have lost Monsieur Paul's affection. He treated me strangely. In his most unjust moments, he would insinuate that I had deceived him when I appeared, what he called faible that is incompetent he said i had feigned a false incapacity again he would turn suddenly round and accuse me of the most far-fetched imitations and impossible plagiarisms asserting that i had extracted the pith out of books i had not so much as heard of 
and over the perusal of which I should infallibly have fallen down in a sleep as deep as that of Eutychus. Once, upon his preferring such an accusation, I turned upon him, I rose against him, gathering an armful of his books out of my desk, I filled my apron and pulled them in a heap upon his estrade, at his feet. "'Take them away, Monsieur Paul,' I said, "'and teach me no more. I never asked to be made learned.' and you compel me to feel very profoundly that learning is not happiness. And returning to my desk, I laid my head on my arms, nor would I speak to him for two days afterwards. He pained and chagrined me. His affection had been very sweet and dear, a pleasure new and incomparable. Now that this seemed withdrawn, I cared not for his lessons. The books, however, were not taken away. They were all restored with careful hand to their places. And he came as usual to teach me. He made his peace somehow. Too readily, perhaps. I ought to have stood out longer. But when he looked kind and good, and held out his hand with amity, memory refused to reproduce with due force his oppressive moments. And then reconcilement is always sweet. On a certain morning a message came from my godmother, inviting me to attend some notable lecture to be delivered in the same public rooms before described. Dr. John had brought the message himself, and delivered it verbally to Rosine, who had not scrupled to follow the steps of Monsieur Emmanuel, then passing to the first class, and in his presence stand carrément before my desk, hand an apron pocket, and rehearse the same, saucily and aloud, concluding with the words— Qu'il est vraiment beau, mademoiselle, ce jeune docteur. Quels yeux, quel regard. Tenez, j'en ai le cœur tout ému. When she was gone, my professor demanded of me why I suffered. Cette fille effrontée, cette créature sans pudeur. To address me in such terms, I had no pacifying answer to give. The terms were precisely such as Rosine, a young lady in whose skull the organs of reverence and reserve were not largely developed was in the constant habit of using. Besides, what she said about the young doctor was true enough. Graham was handsome. He had fine eyes and a thrilling glance. An observation to that effect actually formed itself into sound on my lips. Elle ne dit que la vérité, I said. Ah, vous trouvez? Mais, sans doute. The lesson to which we had that day to submit was such as to make us very glad when it terminated. At its close, the released pupils rushed out, half trembling, half exultant. I too was going. A mandate to remain arrested me. I muttered that I wanted some fresh air, sadly. The stove was in a glow, the class overheated. An inexorable voice merely recommended silence, and this salamander, for whom no room ever seemed too hot, sitting down between my desk and the stove, a situation in which she ought to have felt broiled but did not, proceeded to confront me with a Greek quotation. In Monsieur Emmanuel's soul rankled a chronic suspicion that I knew both Greek and Latin. As monkeys are said to have the power of speech if they would but use it, and are reported to conceal this faculty in fear of its being turned to their detriment, so to me was ascribed a fund of knowledge which I was supposed criminally and craftily to conceal, the privileges of— a classical education, it was insinuated, had been mine. 
on flowers of hymatus i had revelled a golden store hived in memory now silently sustained my efforts and privily nurtured my wits a hundred expedients did monsieur paul employ to surprise my secret to wheedle to threaten to startle it out of me sometimes he placed greek and latin books in my way and then watched me as joan of arc's jailers tempted her with the warrior's accoutrements and lay in wait for the issue again he quoted i know not what authors and passages and while rolling out their sweet and sounding lines the classic tones fell musically from his lips for he had a good voice remarkable for compass modulation and matchless expression he would fix on me a vigilant piercing and often malicious eye it was evident he sometimes expected great demonstrations. They never occurred, however. Not comprehending, of course, I could neither be charmed nor annoyed. Baffled, almost angry, he still clung to his fixed idea. My susceptibilities were pronounced marble, my face a mask. It appeared as if he could not be brought to accept the homely truth and take me for what I was. Men and women, too, must have delusion of some sort. If not made ready to their hand, they will invent exaggeration for themselves. At moments I did wish that his suspicions had been better founded. There were times when I would have given my right hand to possess the treasures he ascribed to me. He deserved condign punishment for his testy crotchets. I could have gloried in bringing home to him his worst apprehensions astoundingly realized. I could have exulted to burst on his vision, confront and confound his lunette, one blaze of acquirements. Oh, why did nobody undertake to make me clever while I was young enough to learn, that I might, by one grand, sudden, inhuman revelation, one cold, cruel, overwhelming triumph, have for ever crushed the mocking spirit out of Paul, Carl, David, Emmanuel? Alas, no such feat was in my power. Today, as usual, his quotations fell ineffectual. He soon shifted his ground. Women of intellect, was his next theme. Here he was at home. A woman of intellect, it appeared, was a sort of lusus naturae, a luckless accident, a thing for which there was neither place nor use in creation, wanted neither as wife nor worker. Beauty anticipated her in the first office. He believed in his soul that lovely, placid, and passive feminine mediocrity was the only pillow on which manly thought and sense could find rest for its etching temples, and as to work, male mind alone could work to any good practical result, eh? This, eh, huh? was a note of interrogation, intended to draw from me contradiction or objection. However, I only said, cela ne me regarde pas, je ne m'en soucie pas, and presently added, May I go, monsieur? They have rung the bell for the second déjeuner, i.e. luncheon. What of that? You are not hungry? Indeed I was, I said. I had had nothing since breakfast at seven, and should have nothing till dinner at five if I missed this bell. Well, he was in the same plight, but I might share with him and he broke in two the brioche intended for his own refreshment, and gave me half. Truly his bark was worse than his bite, but the really formidable attack was yet to come. While eating his cake I could not forbear expressing my secret wish 
that I really knew all of which he accused me. Did I sincerely feel myself to be an ignoramus? he asked in a softened tone. If I had replied meekly by an unqualified affirmative, I believe he would have stretched out his hand, and we should have been friends on the spot. But I answered, Not exactly. I am ignorant, monsieur, in the knowledge you ascribe to me. But I sometimes, not always, feel a knowledge of my own. What did I mean? he inquired sharply. Unable to answer this question in a breath, I evaded it by change of subject. He had now finished his half of the brioche. Feeling sure that on so trifling a fragment he could not have satisfied his appetite, as, indeed, I had not appeased mine, and inhaling the fragrance of baked apples afar from the refectory, I ventured to inquire whether he did not also perceive that agreeable odour. He confessed that he did. I said if he would let me out by the garden door, and permit me just to run across the court, I would fetch him a plateful, and added that I believed they were excellent, as Gauton had a very good method of baking, or rather stewing fruit, putting in a little spice, sugar, and a glass or two of vin blanc. Might I go? Petite gourmande, said he, smiling. I have not forgotten how pleased you were with the pâté à la crème I once gave you, and you know very well at this moment that to fetch the apples for me will be the same as getting them for yourself. Go then, but come back quickly. And at last he liberated me on parole. My own plan was to go and return with speed and good faith, to put the plate in at the door, and then to vanish incontinent, leaving all consequences for future settlement. That intolerably keen instinct of his seemed to have anticipated my scheme. He met me at the threshold, hurried me into the room, and fixed me in a minute in my former seat. Taking the plate of fruit from my hand, he divided the portion intended only for himself, and ordered me to eat my share. I complied with no good grace, and vexed, I suppose, by my reluctance, he opened a masked and dangerous battery. All he had yet said I could count as mere sound and fury, signifying nothing, not so of the present attack. It consisted in an unreasonable proposition with which he had before afflicted me, namely that on the next public examination day I should engage, foreigner as I was, to take my place on the first form of first-class pupils, and with them improvise a composition in French on any subject any spectator might dictate, without benefit of grammar or lexicon. I knew what the result of such an experiment would be. I, to whom nature had denied the impromptu faculty, who in public was by nature a cipher, whose time of mental activity, even when alone, was not under the meridian sun, who needed the fresh silence of morning, or the recluse peace of evening, to win from the creative impulse one evidence of his presence, one proof of his force, I, with whom that impulse was the most intractable, the most capricious, the most maddening of masters, him before me always excepted, a deity which sometimes, under circumstances apparently propitious, would not speak when questioned, would not hear when appealed to, would not, when sought, be found, but would stand all cold, all indurated, all granite, a dark baal, with carven lips and blank eyeballs, and breast like the stone face of a tomb, 
and again suddenly at some turn some sound some long trembling sob of the wind at some rushing past of an unseen stream of electricity the irrational demon would wake unsolicited would stir strangely alive would rush from its pedestal like a perturbed dagon calling to its votary for a sacrifice whatever the hour to its victim for some blood or some breath whatever the circumstance or scene rousing its priest treacherously promising vaticanation and perhaps filling its temple with a strange hum of oracles but sure to give half the significance to fateful winds and grudging to the desperate listener even a miserable remnant yielding it sordidly as though each word had been a drop of the deathless ichor of its own dark veins and this tyrant i was to compel into bondage and make it improvise a theme on a school estrade between a mathilde and a coralie under the eye of a madame beck for the pleasure and the inspiration of a bourgeois of la bassecour upon this argument monsieur paul and i did battle more than once strong battle with confused noise of demand and rejection exaction and repulse on this particular day i was soundly rated the obstinacy of my whole sex it seems was concentrated in me i had an orgueil de diable i fear to fail forsooth what did it matter whether i failed or not who was i that i should not fail like my betters it would do me good to fail he wanted to see me worsted i knew he did and one minute he paused to take breath would i speak now and be tractable never would i be tractable in this matter law itself should not compel me i would pay a fine or undergo an imprisonment rather than write for show and to order perched up on a platform could soft motives influence me would i yield for friendship's sake not a whit not a hair-breadth no former friendship under the sun had a right to exact such a concession no true friendship would harass me thus he supposed then with a sneer monsieur paul could sneer supremely curling his lip opening his nostrils contracting his eyelids he supposed there was but one form of appeal to which i would listen and of that form it was not for him to make use under certain persuasions from certain carters je vous vois d'ici said he eagerly subscribing to the sacrifice passionately arming for the effort making a simpleton a warning and an example of myself before a hundred and fifty of the papas and mamas of villette and here losing patience i broke out afresh with a cry that i wanted to be liberated to get out into the air i was almost in a fever Shit said the inexorable this was a mere pretext to run away he was not hot with the stove close at his back how could i suffer thoroughly screened by his person i did not understand his constitution i knew nothing of the natural history of salamanders for my own part i was a phlegmatic islander and sitting in an oven did not agree with me at least might i step to the well and get a glass of water the sweet apples had made me thirsty if that was all he would do my errand he went to fetch the water of course with the door only on the latch behind me i lost not my opportunity ere his return his half-worried prey 
had escaped. End of chapter 30